Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, we're going to look at two verses this morning, verse 15 and 16, so if everybody's turned their pages, go ahead and stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it should be there on the screen for you to follow along. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. If your Bible is a a red letter Bible, you will see that most of these two verses are written in red, therefore reminding us these are the words of our Lord. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and he that is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Father, we thank you for these precious words that the Lord Jesus Christ reminds us of. Lord, the importance of going out from the church into the highways and byways and compelling people to come in. Lord, we ask that, Father, this morning that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my words, but your word, O Lord, that is read and heard and preached this morning. Lord, we ask that, Father, that you would take the reading and hearing of the word and move upon the the children of the Lord, but now take the preaching of the word and cause their hearts to be stirred, O Lord. And we ask that, Father, that we would be found obedient to you and to your calling. Lord, now open up our hearts that we might receive from you that which you have in store for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 16, verse 26, the Lord said unto us, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That question that the Lord asks us there is an important question. It's an implication that ought to cause us to, to recognize what human beings consider the value of their soul. You may, he says, you may gain all of the world's wealth and riches and treasures that this world has to offer. But if doing so you lose your very soul then ultimately you are the loser. That is what the world looks at as the worth of the soul of one person. But what about the worth of a soul to God? What does God consider the worth of a soul at? When we think about what he says unto us, the soul of a man is worth enough that God himself would be willing to give his most precious possession his only begotten son, to die on a cruel cross for you and for I. In order to redeem the soul of men from hell, God gave his only begotten son. The worth that God has placed upon a soul is undeniable and undebatable. But what about the worth of a soul to you and to me? The question that I want us to think about, the questions that I want us to think about, I want us to think about what is that worth? I mean, how much is it really worth in terms of your time, your effort, and money to see someone come to a changing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How much would you be willing to invest of your money, of your time, of your effort, 
of your heart so that someone that you know or don't know might come to know Jesus Christ. The questions that I want us to think about today is the title of the message today. Do I have a passion for the lost or have I lost my passion for the lost? I thought about that this week and I added another question that I think, however, must be asked for many sitting even here this morning. And the question that I think perhaps maybe we have to ask ourselves is this. Have I ever really had a passion for the lost? Has it really ever mattered to me that someone else besides me and my family are going to hell? Has it really ever concerned me that my neighbor, my co-worker, my uh, uh, ball team member, uh, or my schoolmate is going to an eternity separated from a loving God and I have the answer to help them so they don't have to? The question that I want us to ask this morning is, do I have a passion for the lost around me? Or have I lost that passion? Or have I had a passion at all? What are you willing to do with that passion for the lost? Or what am I willing to do if I receive a passion for the lost this morning? I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will help us to answer those questions this morning so that we know that we can be obedient to what God is greatly passionate about. I want to share with you this morning some things about a passion for the lost or a lost passion. We need to be, first of all, remember you've been commissioned to go. In Mark's gospel in chapter 16 that I just read to you, the Bible tells us that Jesus' own words tell us that we have been commissioned to go. There's something encouraging to me at least in remembering that God has specifically commissioned me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only me only, but to all that are believers that we have been called to be an ambassador for the cause of Christ. Mark chapter 16, let me just remind you of what he said in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To all the world. To us, all the world may mean our neighbor down the street, or our, our co-worker, or, or our family, or our friends. Today, I want it to mean that we're going to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come to Christ. Let me tell you a story. Late one night, a salesman drove into a strange city, and he tried to get a room at the only local hotel. The clerk informed him that there was absolutely no vacancies. Disappointed, he started to leave the lobby when a dignified gentleman offered to share his room with him. Gratefully, the traveler accepted his kindness. Just before retiring for the night, the man who had shown such hospitality knelt and prayed aloud. In his petition, he referred to the stranger by name and asked the Lord to bless him. Upon awakening the next morning, he told his guest that he had a habit of reading from the Bible and communing with God at the beginning of each and every day. He asked the the, the man if he would like to join him. The Holy Spirit had been speaking to the heart of the salesman throughout the night, and when his host tactfully confronted him with the claims of Christ, he gladly received Jesus as his Savior. As the two were getting ready to part that, that morning, they exchanged business cards. 
The new believer was amazed to read on the business card of the, the man who was so generous to him that it said, Williams Jennings Bryan, Secretary of State. You see, William Jennings Bryan was not only the Secretary of State under Woodrow Wilson, but more importantly, he knew that he was an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Once you and I have been saved and are transformed into the new creatures that Christ tells us that we will be, we are given a new mission, a new calling. We are called to be ambassadors for the Christ who saved us from our sin. When we remember that we are commissioned to deliver the message of Jesus Christ to all the world, this message should become urgent and it should become important to us to know this message inside and out. It should add weight to our responsibility that we are to go out and to, to be an ambassador for Jesus, our Savior. The second thing that we need to remember if we're ever going to have and continue to show a passion for the lost, we need to remember you need compassion on the lost as you go. Listen, my friends, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, I'm going to reference there in just a moment. But I want you to understand that compassion is a big deal for the church. Compassion has to be a part of the witness of a church. God never told us to cram anything down anyone's throat. God never told us to beat them over the head with the Bible. God told us and showed us how to have compassion on those that were lost. How to have compassion on those that are hurting. How to have compassion on those that are seeking. How to have compassion on those who yet to know the, the love of Jesus Christ. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see Jesus involved in many ministries. And every one of his ministries is a ministry of compassion. Consider the verses that, that we find that talk not only about uh, one of Jesus' ministries, but reveal to us his heart for compassion. Think about what it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and all the villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray unto the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the field." In this passage, there is an important word that is right in the middle of all of this. It says to us there in verse 36, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion upon them. Compassion is a visceral word. It has to do with something that we feel in our gut. It's not one of those clinical type words where we think about it. It's something that we must react to. It's not strategic sort of thing. It's a gut-level response to a need that we sense. Some of our older translations would translate this as the bowels of compassion. Because that is where the word actually comes from. It talks about that gut-level thing. In our English, we might say that we have a heart for them. My heart went out for them. And so here we see Jesus, as Jesus is not just sitting there, 
making a clinical strategic decision on how to, his outreach might become more effective. Well, I guess we could um, gather together a committee and see if we could financially meet their needs and maybe we can, we can put together an outreach team that might go out someday and, and see if there's something that we can do. Jesus didn't just talk about it. He didn't just diagnose it. He went and did something about it. He was compassionate. His compassion came from his innermost being and he responded to it from there. We see that Jesus was one of those who taught us how to respond from our gut, from that that need to meet the human need. Because from the very first start of Scripture, it declares that God is a compassionate God. We can go all the way back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus in chapter 34, we find that we hear this said about the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God that He is, He is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. This is what God is like. This is the kind of God that we're to go out into the world and show people. You know, there are always going to be those who don't want to receive what we are sharing with them. And we shouldn't stand there and argue with them that we're right and they're wrong. A compassionate response is, I love you and and I want the best for you, but, but it's your choice. You have that free will. And we talked about that, that God doesn't send anybody to hell, but He's given us all a free will. And in the end, He's going to say either my will be done or your will be done. My will is that every man should come unto the salvation of God. But your will might be that I want nothing to do with God. That's your choice. That's their choice. Compassion is one who says, I love you and I want you to receive that which will be best for you, but it is your choice. The ministry of Jesus was characterized with this kind of compassion. He didn't see people as numbers, but as souls. Even as Christ gave his disciples the great commission, he reminded them that there was an eternal need here that attached to fulfilling it. I want you to look at what he says in verse 16. I want you to hear what he's saying here. It's so important that we remind ourselves of the eternity that is at stake. Jesus tells us in chapter four, or, or, uh, uh, 16 and verse 15 that we're to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in verse uh, uh, 16, he tells us why. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. What he's saying is they that reject, they that refuse, there's an eternity at stake. Either they will receive the Lord and be saved and spend eternity with Him, or else they will reject God and spend an eternity separated from God. Eternity is at stake. Not just a few days here on earth. Not just a a few years of our lives. But eternity is at stake. And Jesus says, I want you to understand the, the magnitude to my sending you out into a lost world, telling them eternity is at stake. Remember, this verse makes it clear that reality, the reality of hell is a huge motivation. It ought to to motivate us to tell others that if you don't want to spend eternity separated from God, here's the loving answer to it. 
the compassion of God. It's easy for us today to become half-hearted in our desire of witnessing, to become content and simply saying, well, I've invited them to church, preacher. What more do you want? Well, listen, let me ask you something. Does inviting them to church get them saved? Does inviting them to church tell them what the gospel is? You see, we, we have this idea that if I just go out and invite them to church, then I've done my part. No, the Bible says don't go out and invite them to church. The Bible says go out and share the gospel. Maybe I need to spend an entire sermon on what is the gospel. It's not inviting them to church. The gospel is the love of Jesus Christ and that he came from heaven above to, to live a sinless life, to die a sinless death so that he would go to a grave and three days later raise again from the dead so that we could not only have the forgiveness of sin, but we could have the promise of eternal life. That's the gospel. We need to tell people, don't just invite them to come to Midway. Tell them, I want to tell you how the gospel can change your life. And once we share the gospel with them, then church becomes something that they realize, maybe I ought to check out. You see, the reality is we think the church is the salvation. If I can just get them to church, they'll get saved. No, that's not the case. If nobody shares the gospel with them, coming to church will not save them. Thank you, brother. All right, the Bible tells us that we need to realize what is at stake. We can't become half-hearted. We can't just sit on the sidelines and think that all I got to do is just invite them. Now, of course, there's times when we want to invite people to church. There's times when we want to tell them, you've heard the gospel, now come. But we must make sure that we are sharing the gospel. Just as Jesus saw the multitude, then he saw that their struggles. Listen, we're living in a world when people are hurting in so many different ways. Not just financially, but emotionally, spiritually. And, and the, the, they're saying today that right now in 2021, that anxiety in, in America today is at its all-time high. More people are struggling with anxiety today than ever before in our country. What does that say? That there is an anxiousness in the world. There's a hurting person there because they don't have what they need to have. And listen, my friends, if you and I as Christians are living that anxious life, let me tell you something. You need to get a hold of Jesus. You need to get a hold of Jesus because Jesus removes that anxiousness. He is our rock. He is our foundation. He holds us together. And that's what we got to be showing a lost and dying world that's anxious out there. We have the answer. His name is Jesus. Remember, the reality of hell and the truth of the gospel should thrust us to share with those that are hurting. It's urgent. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul when he said, today is the day of salvation, for we're not promised tomorrow. Listen, my friends, life is, is short. We can talk about tragedy after tragedy of people who were here today and gone tomorrow. They thought they'd be here for tomorrow, but they're not. 
And what if we were the last person that had opportunity to share with them and all we did was invite them to church? Oh, my friends, do we understand that true compassion moves us to realize that we need to share with them what it takes to spend eternity with a Savior that loved them enough to send His Son to die for them. And then we need to remember, if we're going to have a passion for the lost, we need to connect with people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22 and 23, if you want to go there, that's where I'm going in just a minute, and I'll lead up to that in just a moment. Paul recognized that Christian ministry was all about adaptation. Now, while the the message of Christian faith can never be modified, changed, or compromised, the Apostle Paul noted that we cannot ramrod one single-minded approach down the throats of everyone and expect them to receive the gospel. The Apostle Paul said we need to adapt ourselves to them, to share the gospel with them. Now listen, I said we need to be adaptable. The gospel is the gospel and it never changes. The way we approach the gospel with people has to change. We need to find that way which will reach that person. Perhaps it is that what we'll do as we go out this afternoon and share a track and a DVD and a little bit of love might be that way. Or perhaps it might be that as we're talking with them over a cup of coffee. Or maybe it might be that as we are sharing with them as they are going through the most difficult time of their life, their losses. We need to adapt to them. So the question is, in the 21st century America that we're living in today, how do we become all things to all people? What is becoming all things to all people? Perhaps it's easier for me to start with what it's not. It's not changing the message of the gospel. It's not compromising the truth of God's word to make people happy, which the church of Jesus Christ today is doing so much. We must stand upon the principles of this word, whether it makes people feel good or not. It's the word of God. It cannot change, and we should not try to change it just to fill a room. I'm telling you, my friends, we need to preach the gospel as it has been given. It's not changing the gospel message. It's not compromising the truth. It means adapting our outreach styles to appropriate for the audience in which we're trying to reach. Paul put it this way. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22 and 23. To the Jews I became like a Jew, so that I might gain the Jews. To those who are under the law I became like a person under the law though I myself am not under the law, so that I might gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became like a person without the law. Though I am not without God's law, I am within the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. Paul said he was no longer a Jew, just a Jewish believer, He was not bound by the ceremonial laws that governed the Jewish people daily because he knew that those laws had been fulfilled in Jesus. But when he went to the Jewish people, 
He didn't go as one who would offer them a pork chop, but he went to them that would recognize his Jewish heritage. Among the Jewish people, he subjected himself back under the law so that by, from their vantage point, he would show them the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Likewise, he said, when I go to those that are non-Jewish, the Gentiles, he said, I don't go with strict dietary laws. I don't go with regulatory rules. I don't go with demands to follow but rather with God's word to show that them there is a Savior and that just as, as the Savior loved them, He has come to save them. He didn't change God's word. He didn't change God's definition of right or wrong. He didn't change the core meaning. Unshakable truth of the, the complete forgiveness that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. But he adapted his methods to communicate a rock-solid message to different groups of people. Let me tell you what it takes to connect with people. I want to give you just two simple things that we can take home that it takes to connect with people. Something we need to, to know as we go out this afternoon. First, it happens when common ground is shared. And what do I mean by that? This requires being observant. It may be as simple as noticing a ball cap someone is wearing to a team that you might follow or that you know about. It may be seeing a piano in the living room of someone's home and asking, who plays? Oh, do you play the piano? We've got a pianist at our church. Yeah. It might be that that just um, commenting on their roses as you go up to their front door Wow, your roses are beautiful this time of year. How in the world do you do that? Connecting with people is simply, first and foremost, finding some common ground to connect with them. Something that you and they can have in common so that you're, even though you're a total stranger to them, you can talk to them as one person to another. I'm telling you that there is absolutely nothing that separates us from anybody else that we cannot find some kind of common ground with. It might be just that we're a guy and they're a guy. It might be that, you you know, you're a woman and they're a woman. It might be that you're old or that you're not. But I can tell you that you can find something common ground. You know, I found over the years, especially after becoming one, that there is absolutely nothing more common ground than when you go to somebody and you realize that they've got grandchildren and talk about their grandchildren. I, I have yet to find a grandparent that, that's, that, that I cannot find common ground with. I oftentimes freak them out, though, because I'll ask, how many grandchildren you got? Well, we got one. <laughs> and I say, well, I, how many you got? I got nine. And they go, what? <laughs> I say, yeah, it's real expensive come Christmas time. Gives me an open door. Finding common ground is so important. You know what? I, I think that we can all do that very easily if we're observant. If we just take a moment to ask the Lord, Lord, as I, as I meet this person, give me something that we can have in common. The second truth or thing that, that, that helps us 
is with connection take place is when they sense your love. Now listen, although we may not uh, put it into words, people can sense it if our motives for reaching out to them are rooted in compassion and genuine love. Can I just remind you that people realize fake? <laughs> they, they, they can see it a mile away. If you're just coming, oh, I, I really care about you. You need to come to Lord because I need a you know, mark on my belt. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm out here gaining, gaining points. So can I get you to come? Can I get you to make a commitment so I can go back to the church and tell them I did my job? They know you're fake. What people are looking for is genuine compassion and love. Something that comes from the heart. Something that we really believe in. Listen, my friends, when you show the compassion and love like Jesus did, when you love people the way that he loved people, God will always give you an open door. People will give you an open door. People want to be loved. And they want genuine love. So really, it requires, first and foremost, that, that we are attentive. And second, that we actually are genuinely concerned about the lostness of people. If you don't have a passion for loss today, I ask that you will come and spend time with the Lord this morning and say, Father, give me a passion for those people so that when I go out and I do what you've called me to do because I am an ambassador of Jesus Christ, that I'm not just doing it because it's my job, I'm doing it because it's my heart truly want to do it. The last thing that we need to be reminded of if we're going to have a passion for the loss, remember that the need for the Holy Spirit to bring about that conviction. Can I just remind you first and foremost that none of us can save anybody? None of us can convince anybody to get saved. Listen, if you can convince them to get saved, then the devil can convince them not to be saved. You and I can't do it. There's only one way it happens. Ultimately, it is the work of the Holy Spirit who is the true soul winner. Only He can convict people of their need for Christ and convince them to place their faith in Him. Again, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 8, <clears throat> Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase, so that neither he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase... Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labors. It's encouraging me to be reminded every now and again that the delicate work of conviction is not my job. You know, week after week I stand up here and preach the word of God, and I'll have to be honest, there are times when I want to come down with a hammer and I want to say, why are you not getting it? How much clearer can I get? But then I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit of God, it's not my job. That's His job. My job is to present the truth, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the work in your heart. If God doesn't do anything in your heart, it's not my fault. I've done my part. I've prepared, I've prayed, I, I, I've, uh, I've, I've got the message, I've delivered the message. And then I leave it to the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, after, after preaching, 
and and thinking that, boy, this ought to stir their soul and nothing moves, it can get discouraging. But I'm reminded it's not my job to change their heart. It's my job just to preach the word. The Bible reminds us in John chapter 16 and verses 7 through 9, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. And that if I not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. You see, I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus reminds us that it's not my job, it's not your job. Our job is simply to go out and share the love of Jesus Christ with them, and it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict them, to draw them. It is the Holy Spirit's job that goes before us and begins to speak into the hearts and lives of people so that when you come, you can either water that seed that's already been planted or plant a seed, water the seed, till the ground, but it is God who brings forth the harvest. In the light of the role of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to down to driving people to Christ, it can be summed up in these three major functions of the Holy Spirit. Convicting the world of sin. Convicting the world of God's righteousness. And convicting the world of coming judgment. Now I can tell you of all those things, but it is only the Holy Spirit of God who can convict you of all those three things. In order for the message of the gospel to make sense to a sinner, they must be able to realize that there is something that they too must have to do to be saved. They must acknowledge their sin. Everyone who has come to Christ did so under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. That He brought them from uh, their conviction to salvation. It is only the Holy Spirit that makes it plain to us that we are a wretched sinner in the eyes of a holy God. There, and there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn his acceptance in our human abilities. And we are on our way to hell, and we deserve it. But yet God in his grace and mercy has come to draw us out of it. Finally, the Holy Spirit points us to Christ, who is waiting for us to come to him with open arms. For this reason, in any, anyone who is saved, it is clear evidence that the Spirit of God is at work. The Bible tells us that no man cometh unto the Father unless he is first drawn by the Father. Unless the Holy Spirit of God comes in and draws us, we don't come to Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit must begin in our hearts in order for us to ever receive. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, it is because the Holy Spirit of God came looking for you and drew you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You didn't come seeking the light. The Bible reminds us that light came in the world, but the world rejected him because they loved darkness better than light. Listen, my friends, we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit of God is at work around us. And if the Holy Spirit of God is convicting and drawing people, then we need to go out and tell them. We need to be the, the planters of seeds and the waterer of seeds and the, the, the fertilizers of seed. We need to be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now, remember that Sinners have a, a critical responsibility for themselves 
after they have been convicted by sin, of sin, they need to come to Christ. In other words, they have a critical decision that they must make. They must make that decision in order not to spend eternity separated from, from the Lord. So it is imperative for people to always make sure that they have responded the right way by coming to Christ in order to escape the wrath of God to come. God is faithful. He does not just leave us on our own. After saving us, he brings us to the body of Christ that we may grow and be discipled so that we then may go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember the questions I asked you this, to begin with? Let me just remind you. I asked you a series of questions to, to begin this message this morning. Do I have a passion for the lost? Or have I lost my passion for the lost? But maybe there are those that are here that would have to honestly say, Preacher, I've never had a passion for the lost. I never saw the need for it. I didn't understand that, that, that eternity was at stake. I didn't understand that God has commissioned me to go and, and, and that the Holy Spirit is going before me and all I'm supposed to do is go out and, and follow His lead. I've never had a passion for the lost. I've never desired to see others come to Christ. But that's beginning to change. You know, there's something I notice about all my kids, but I've noticed something about my oldest daughter. She'll probably kill me for talking about this, but, you know, um, for those of you that know Tiffany, you know um, that she is a, a strong personality. Now, what we've noticed over the years is that she is quite the, the unique shopper. If there is a deal to be found, if there is a sale to be had, she's going to find it. When she goes out to shop, she goes out with a purpose in mind. And when she comes back, I can guarantee you that she's coming back with not only what she went for, but with a story on how she got it at half price. No doubt. If I want something really bad and I can't seem to get it at a price I want, I call her and she has a way about it. Okay, I, I wonder if maybe, if just maybe you and I saw soul winning with that kind of compassion, with that kind of uh, specificity uh, to the attentiveness of it, what could we do? If we would go out soul winning with that same tenacity and focus, specifically attentive, looking to reach lost people, how many souls would we encounter for the cause of Christ? Perhaps we would be like the psalmist, go out with, with weeping, but come in with, 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 you know, uh, with joy because our sheaves are full. But the question is, are we going out as a matter of duty? A pre-planned part of ministry? Nothing wrong with planning ministries. We're, we're going to talk about that in just a second as I close. But even there, we must go out with the right compassion, the right heart. Are you going out just because I'm twisting your arm? Or do you have a passion for the lost? Are you concerned about your neighbors? Do you remember that, that eternal reality, that people that we meet, they too are perhaps seeking a connection? 
Are we taking the conversation beyond simply inviting people to church to looking for a way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work of conviction? Or are we simply fulfilling a routine? I have an opportunity for you today. Some of you already know about this, others may not, but today at 3 o'clock I'm inviting you back here to the church to where we are going to be doing something today that we had a party on Wednesday night to pack and we packed a bunch of these bags right here, 250 of them, and they are simply door hangers that we can go out and put upon people's doors up and down the street of Midway's general vicinity. These right here represent lives and souls of people around our church. I've got a whole case of them, but I'm just putting out a few here just to represent the fact that we have neighbors who have yet to hear and to receive the word of God. We have an opportunity today to go out up and down this road and off all of its side roads and a few little areas and to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, we won't even, we won't, we'll knock on a door and no one will be home. We'll just leave a package. For some of us, we may have to have a conversation. We may have to actually connect with people. For some of us, we may say, well, preacher, I can't do that part. I can't walk up and down people's driveways or in and out of their houses. But can you drive? Maybe you'll just be the driver in the prayer. In the, somebody needs to be in the, behind the wheel. Somebody needs to be praying. So whether you can walk up and down the streets, drive up and down the streets, or pray up and down the streets, we need you this afternoon. Now, I don't even know what time it is. Okay, I got plenty of time. It's not one o'clock yet. We're good. What I want to do as we close our time today, these are people. These are gifts. I, I, I thought about getting every one of them out here, and I said, I don't want to have to pick them all up. If I get them out, I've got to pick them all up. So we're going to come today and just pray over our neighbors. Pray over every one of these bags that we prayed over Wednesday night, but I want to pray over this morning. These are, these are lives that we can change. These are homes that we can reach. These are our neighbors. These are people that we're, are within just a few miles of our church. So I want to ask you this morning as we close our time in prayer, will you come? Will you first come to the altar and pray and ask God to give you that passion for those that are lost, those that need to hear the gospel? And then will you... Tell God, I will be back this afternoon to be a part of sharing that with others. I will go out into this community and I will deliver these and I will hang these on doors. I will hand them to people. I will tell them that we love them and we'd love for them to watch this wonderful DVD that will tell them the gospel. So here's what we're going to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to pray for you. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your, your feet. And as the Spirit of the Lord leads, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. Or you can stand there if you don't feel comfortable coming to the altar. You can stand right there in your, your pew and pray for our neighbors. But I'm going to ask that you join me as we just pray for these lost people 
that are going to receive the word of God, that they would be acceptive of it, that the Holy Spirit will go ahead of us and do that wonderful work. Father, my prayer is for your people right now, for those that are here. Lord, I ask that uh, you would take that which you have given me to give to them, that the Holy Spirit would do his work, drawing them to that passion. Lord, now as we close our time together today, Lord, if there is one that doesn't know you, that needs to come to know what the gospel message means to them, Lord, my prayer is today that they would realize that Jesus, just as we want to go out and share the gospel with the world, we want to first share the gospel with those that are here in this room. Lord, each and every one that has never received you as Lord and Savior needs to understand that gospel message of Jesus coming, living, dying, and raising from the grave so that we could have forgiveness of sin and the promise of everlasting life with you. That you promise that if we call out to you, you will come into us and cleanse us from our sins and bring us into a new life as a new person in Jesus Christ. Lord, they can receive that today. Lord, my prayer is that they would would respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God. And for those of us that have received the Lord Jesus Christ and are here this morning and are willing to come and pray over these, then Lord, draw us now as we stand. Each and every one, stand to your feet and let the Spirit of the Lord lead. We ask that Jesus, that you would just lead us now. In your name we pray, amen.